We're here to praise the name of our Lord and sing about his goodness and his resurrection in our lives.
sovereign Lord, my refuge.
Romans 8 tells us that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead out of that grave lives in us today. What a powerful truth. Jesus, we worship you. There's a name that levels mountains. Calls out highways to Our hearts, we lift our hands and worship to you. 
you, honoring your name, honoring you for your mighty power, your mercy and your grace and your loving kindness. It endures forever. We worship you, Lord God.
Oh, good morning. Isn't that like the best bumper ever? I love that thing. People jumping out of airplanes and oh, I don't know. This makes me makes me happy. Hey, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. If I haven't met you, you haven't met me, uh, welcome. If you're online with us, we want to say welcome to you as well. Maybe you're watching this week because you're on a business trip and you're catching up. Well, welcome to you as well. Uh, outside in the patio, everybody's welcome. We just want to welcome you. I do this thing. I'll be afterwards on the patio. If I didn't get to connect with you, I got to connect with a couple new families uh, this morning. And uh, that was awesome. So if you see me there, please come up. Say hello. I'd love to put a face with a name. Uh, my joy and pleasure to do that. So please do that. Um, as you have time. So uh, I need to start, but before we get started, I'd be remiss without um, talking about some difficult topics first. And that is to say, um, you know, the Giants played the Dodgers several months back, and I made some big, yeah, yeah. I made a big to-do about how we swept them, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that today the Dodgers could sweep the Giants, possibly. Everybody's coming up to, what do you say about that? What do you think about that, Pastor? Well, I don't think good things. I'll tell you that. I was at the game uh, two nights ago with my wife and when the Grand Slam game, and it was just a, a horrible walk back to the car, I'll say that. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I just want, you know, in my mind, how do I deal with this? It's football season. We're one week away from, uh, for, uh, you know, from training camp. And so, you know, baseball's behind and football's before, so we're now into Niners world. Number two, we're all about Jesus in this church. Until next season. All right. Anyway, uh, I, one more thing, uh, or a couple, couple of things, actually. I would love for you to uh, mark your calendars on uh, August 9th, which I believe, oh, shoot, is it a Tuesday or Wednesday? I already forgot. But uh, August 9th at 7 p.m., it's either a Tuesday or a Wednesday, um, it, we're going to be doing a worship night here. Now, I'll just let you know, if you've been missing these worship nights, you are now at the point where you are missing out. Uh, they're pretty tremendous. They're pretty powerful. The team gives us the best songs. They put all their heart into it. It's a little louder in nature, but don't let that stop you. We have earplugs. And come on with us and worship God together. And then we do this kind of prayer element as well. And we'll be praying over our families this time. Uh, coming forward, kneeling down, praying over our families by name. I love doing that for my kids, my wife, my family. And so uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. So you want to make sure you're there August 9th. We now have churches like from other places that have figured this thing out, and they're bringing people from like other places, uh, people that we don't even know who just want to come worship with us. And so don't want you to miss out. You're, it's your church. Come be with us on August 9th. And then lastly, tonight is our guest dessert. You know, every week we do this little video uh, welcoming people. Uh, we know that, you know, you come first, second, third time. Around that third time or so, you're starting to think, maybe this is my church. Uh, and so we're going to do a welcome dessert tonight right here in this building. If you signed up for that, make sure you're here. Love to see you. And if you're one of those people like, well, it's really like my 15th time, Pastor. I've been here for 16 months. You know, we get it. We know that's, that's the process is for you. Don't worry. It's not a technicality. We just want to get you to know people. We'll have some staff here, some elders, so you can get to know the leadership of our church. So there's still room for that. Uh, you can check outside afterwards, and they may be able to get you on that list uh, for tonight, but we want you to avail yourself of that. I just think of the one person like, well, I've been here like 10 times, so I'm not ever going to do it. No, 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 do it. We want you to do it. It's a way for us to connect with you. It's not as big as on a Sunday morning. So please do that. All right, we've got to dive in today. And uh, I think I've mentioned before that, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of studying for a living. Like I read a lot. I study a lot. My mind uh, is, is constantly in use. And so, you know, if you go to the gym and you work out muscles, your muscles can't, you can't like, you know, can't, they feel like jello. That's how I feel like my brain sometimes works. And so I need some like, you know, mental breaks. And, and I think I've told the church before, like gardening is really good for me. Uh, I don't know why, but, you know, uh, said uh, weed said box, said weed, said box, into said, and it's just, it's like, I'm, it's monotonous activity, it doesn't use my mind, and so it helps me. Yesterday was a sprinkler, sprinkler head turned this way, you know, it was just really, really simple, and so I do things like that, and other things that I do to kind of, kind of take a mental break, I will watch an occasional, like, Netflix, you know, binge a series or so, I hate to admit it, but it's true, uh, you know, I'll watch Netflix documentaries, like that one about the 737 Max, if you watch that sucker, you'll never get on a commercial airplane again, I promise you. Don't do that to yourself. But anyway, I, you know, I'll watch things like that or I'll come across a series that I want to binge watch or whatever and just kind of let my brain relax. And I, I stumbled upon one, I hate to mention, but I stumbled upon this like reality TV show. And it kind of reminded me of like 
30 years ago when reality TV show was brand new, like the real world was like, you know, seven people picked to live in the house together for three months or whatever, you know, it's everything. And this one's kind of like that, except for uh, um, it was like these buddies who um, vacation together all the time. And they have, and they do it several seasons, like more than one season now. The real world is just one time. But these guys do it, they meet back in summer and winter and all these kind of things. And so, um, and I was just kind of flipping through, watching, all right, let's see what this has to offer. It's kind of like the real world. I want to check it out. And, uh, and, and I find out that they're buddies. And again, they've, they've been together for a long time. There's one couple that had like met on the show, started dating on the show, got engaged on the show, and apparently they're going to get married on the show too. Like their whole, their whole, their whole relationship's on the show. And, uh, and so I just like, all right, this is kind of interesting about the channel. And then the guy says, how do I tell my fiance that we need a prenuptial agreement? And I was like, this is awesome. This is great. What kind of drama? I mean, you're engaged her, and you're really going to ask her on TV, like, like we need a prenuptial agreement. And, and so he's, he's asking his buddies, how do, I, <laughs> how do I start this conversation? You know, and he's got it. And then sure enough, I'm just waiting. Please, please do this on, on, on national television. And so he starts asking, can we get, like, I know we're engaged. We're about to get married, and the, the wedding's going to be on TV and all this stuff. Can we get a prenuptial agreement? And she's thinking, like, it kind of feels like you're preparing for our eventual breakup. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I say I own a business and, and I have these business partners and investors and, and they're concerned that if we should ever part ways, well, then who controls the company? And it can pr- provide a considerable, like, you know, hiccup in the process. And so we just need a pre-standing agreement. And then she's thinking to herself, it kind of feels like you're trying to prepare for our eventual breakup. Like, like she's not seeing fast. Like, this is like, you know, you're, you're trying, to, trying to break up with me before we break up. And, uh, and he's trying to convince her that, no, it's just business-minded. And again, I'm not here, you know, prenuptial or not. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know any of those things that we're all, but I just thought it was great drama, like, like watching these two trying to work this thing out. But her contention was, if you love me, then you love me. And if you want to prepare for our eventual breakup, then don't marry me. It's like, here's your, right now. You can decide right now. You don't have to be married to me. You can break up with me right now. Like, here's your moment. And it's almost like she was asking him, are you really all in? Are you really all into this thing? Are you really all in with me? I mean, I mean, are you really ready to, 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 to merge our lives together? Are you all in? Or are, are there things that you're holding back? And I kind of thought it was a nice parallel to our idea that we're trying to highlight in this series. When the rubber meets the road, are we all in as it relates to our relationship with God? Or do we have prenuptial agreements with God to a certain extent, you know? Like, like, like there's a thing, well, I, I'll give you all of it, but this part over here. And the truth is, if we're all honest with each other, let's just be honest with you. Even I, there are places where I, yes, I'm all in, I'm all in. I'm all, but on that one, this one, uh, I'm not sure on a couple of them, but I'm all in. I'm, and all of us are on this journey to say, no, we're putting all the chips in. Every area of our life. Put it all, we're going all in. Like, he's worthy of us being all in. And so today, we're going to dive a little deeper into the scriptures as it relates to the topic of generosity. And looking at that and how that is a picture of whether or not we are all in or not. What does the Bible specify about regular and intentional giving to the Lord? And how do these, and do these principles still apply to us today? How does God actually, or where does God actually say that we should be generous towards him and his causes? And what if these ideas have been misunderstood and no longer apply to us today? How do we know what amount we should strive after in our worship to God? And how do we know that he still expects us to do that? For that, we're going to be in two passages. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7. So you want to put your bookmarks there, you can go there. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14 and Hebrews chapter 7 a little later. The overarching question today is according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, how does our love turn into regular and intentional generosity? According to the scriptures, as the Bible would dictate, how does the love that I have turn itself into and morph itself and transform into regular intentional generosity? The first thing we're going to see is that our generosity becomes proportional. Our generosity becomes proportional, proportionate. It's, it's, not, it's not a number. It's not a fixed number. It's a proportion of everything. It's a percentage of everything. We're going to see that in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Starting at verse 22, it'll be on the screens. Uh, uh, let's read it together, and then we'll dive in together. You shall tithe all of, your, all of the yield of your seed that comes from the, from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he chooses to make his main dwell there, you shall eat 
the tithe of your grain and your wine and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear or revere the Lord your God always. And if, if, and if, if, if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, and when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money, bind, up, uh, bind the money in your hand, and go to the place the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall designate the tithe of your produce to the uh, same year to lay it up in your towns. A Levite, because he has no portion or the inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, and those within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands that you do. So he gives a stipulation. You're going to be setting aside monies so that the work of God's kingdom can continue. The worship of God and even the community of believers who maybe uh, don't have as much as you. And so uh, a tithe's going to go to the Levites and the work of God, and a tithe's going to go to also on the third year, going to go to help people, the widow, the homeless, the sojourner, the, the traveler, things of that nature. And so, according to the scriptures, how does our love turn into regular intentional generosity? Well, our generosity becomes proportional. Uh, this word, a tithe. Now, if you've been in the church world for a long time, you know what that means. It just means a tenth, 10% of. But if you're new to this thing, like, what in the world? I've never heard that word before. A tithe is just a tenth, 10% of. Now, you got to remember, in those days, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't like currency. There wasn't a lot of currency. You could change it into currency. But really, there was resources. And if you think like a farmer, the idea was that God deserved one-tenth of every resource I had. God deserved uh, one-tenth of the spices I grow and trade. God deserved one-tenth of the wheat I grow and I trade. God deserved every tenth animal. He's the one who provided for me. He's deserving of uh, a tenth of everything that I have. And so it's a little different today than back then. Uh, you know, this week I went and I, you know, changed my sprinkler irrigation system because we can only water on Tuesdays or whatever. And so I, I did all that. And, and, you know, and I can know that on Tuesdays my, my, my grass is going to get watered. You know, and, um, but back then you didn't have irrigation systems. So you had to pray to God, God, we need you to bring the rains. We're going to sow these seeds in the ground, praying that the rain will come. The rain is going to produce a crop, and then we'll be able to have food and eat and have resources. But if you don't bring the rain, then everything we've done doesn't matter. And so you're always constantly thinking about God in this process. And so whatever we get, a tenth of it belongs to God. It's his. And so that's their mindset. And this idea of a tenth kind of has its roots back in history of Israel. You might remember the Pharaoh in Egypt and, and, and God's people are enslaved. Uh, um, they don't have their own kingdom. They don't have their own king. And then God says, I'm going to release them. He sends Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Either Moses or Charleston Hessen, depending on your present frame reference. Um, anyway, and so, you know, and, and, and it's like, uh, you're going to let them go. He said, no, I'm not. He said, well, I'm going to do these 10 plagues. The last plague, if you remember, the last plague was if you don't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home, then the death angel will come and take your firstborn son and your firstborn livestock, male livestock as well. And so it was like an obliteration. Like the death angel comes and takes out children, firstborns, and livestock. But if you had the blood of the lamb on your doorpost and the death angel would pass over you, there's where we get the Passover I, uh, feast idea, okay? That's why you celebrate that. And so Israel put the, the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And of course, that, that's kind of like a picture of Jesus Christ. If you have uh, the blood of Jesus Christ on the, door, the, the, the doorpost of your heart, then God will pass over you as far as condemnation and give you eternity with him. And, and the idea was that they would lose their firstborn child or their firstborn livestock, depending on if they had the blood on their doorpost. Well, in Numbers chapter 3, God says, Because I spared you and because I brought you out of uh, Egypt, I deserve your firstborn child and I deserve your firstborn livestock. And so I'm going to require them. The firstborn child is going to be a priest, and, uh, and I'm going to require the, the resources of livestock to make my purposes happen. In Numbers chapter 3, however, he makes a deal with Israel. And he says, here's what we're going to do. Rather than take the firstborn child and the livestock, I'm just going to take the tribe of Levi. 
There's 12 tribes in Israel. I'll take the tribe of Levi, which is numerically at the time, about the same number of firstborn children and whatnot. And so I'll make a trade with you. I'll take the tribe of Levi. They'll become my priests. They'll be of the line of Aaron. They'll be the priests for the, God's kingdom on this earth. And instead of, of, of you losing your firstborn child, you can give me Levi. But you guys got to promise that you're always going to give because Levi won't have their own land. They won't have inheritance. They won't have, they won't have ground. They'll need to eat. Uh, the, the tribe of Levi is going to need help. So you guys, instead of losing your firstborn child, give me Levi. They'll be my priests. And then you guys promise a tenth of your resources so we can make the kingdom of God happen on this earth. Promise a tenth of your resources so the religious activities happen and the tribe of Levi is taken care of. Israel obliges, yep, we like that. Don't want to lose my firstborn child. Give you Levi and said, absolutely, we will do that. All right. So that's what's happening when it relates to what we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 14. A tenth of everything is supposed to come in. You made this agreement that you would do this. And we can put back on the screen on verse 23 that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. And so here's the idea. I'm going to bring this in, this tithe that I promised to you as being part of Israel to take care of the kingdom of God's purposes and the Levites. And in the process, I'm going to learn to revere the Lord always or to fear the Lord. It's not I'm scared of you. It's a reverence for God. Everything we have, he's given us the ability to get. And so therefore, we're going to give back his portion to him that we agreed to give to him. Then later on in verse 25, they're to eat of this tithe in the presence of the Lord and rejoice. Why? Because he's provided it for them. And so let's get together. We're going to rejoice together. Worship God. Look what he's provided for us. Look what he's provided for us. And so this is a very percentage-based idea, proportionate, 10%. It's more about a percentage than it is about an amount. This is why I say our generosity becomes proportional. When I love the Lord and I want to take the scriptures for what it says, I start becoming proportionate in what I give to the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter what you give versus what I give. Is my amount bigger than yours? Your amount bigger than mine? doesn't matter. It's all proportionate. The sacrifice is equal when the gifts are not equal. Now, this is really profound. When you consider the widow's might, if you want to go back this week and check this out, Luke chapter 21, there's a story about a lady who has nothing but gives everything. And Jesus is watching her. She goes in the temple and she gives her widow's mite, which in, in terms of comparison with everyone else, it's nothing. Like she's giving nothing. At the same time, she's giving more than everyone because she's giving everything she has. Proportionately, she's giving a lot more than everyone else because she gave everything. But really she, in their eyes, gave nothing. Proportional giving is what God's in mind of, not necessarily a gift amount. Now, I think it's important to, um, to say some qualifiers here because this can sound rather self-serving. <laughs> so, number one, I have no idea what you give. I have no clue what you give at all. Um, uh, to the Lord, to us, to anywhere, I have no clue. Um, um, I'm sure there's a program for that. I don't have access to it. I don't look at it. Um, I just have no clue. Uh, now, they give me a list every once in a while of people who are generous to our church, and then I write little notes. But I write hundreds of them. And so people will come up to me and go, hey, David, thanks for the note. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you got it. Did I write your birthday note? I'm like, I don't know. Half the time I can't even put, you know, put it together. I'm just writing saying, thank you for being generous. You're, you're, you're what keeps us open. We don't get one public dollar here. And so I do write little notes, but I don't know how much you, and I, sometimes I write in there, I don't know amounts, but I know that you are being sacrificial in your gifts, and I want to thank you for that. But half, there's hundreds of you, so I don't even know which ones do and which ones don't. It's just too many too many. Oftentimes when they give me my list, it takes me like six months to go through and write notes to everyone. So just so you know, I don't know. Secondly, I know we have a bank and I know we deposit money into a bank, but I'm not even sure what bank it is. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's in Camarillo, uh, but you could put a gun to my head right now. So you're going to tell us what bank you got your, your, your church bank. I don't know. I really don't know. I know Kenny knows. And I know, I, you know, I, I'm sure it's in Camarillo. It's local, but I don't know what it is. Now my mind works kind of Morbidly sometimes, but when I was a kid, I, you know, my, I was, you know, I was, I was Colombian. I always am Colombian. I will be Colombian for the rest of my life. But the, the point is, when I was a kid, my mother wouldn't allow us to go to Colombia because they were so, the cartels were so bad in Colombia that they would wait for you at the, um, uh, happened, actually happened regularly, they'd wait for you at the airport and they would kidnap you for ransom. 
And they would say, we know you're American, and so we, we, you know, we want $10,000 or you won't get your kid back type of thing. So for the large part of my life, I wasn't able to go to Colombia because we were scared of the cartels and all that stuff in Colombia, South America. So the way my mind works is like if somebody comes in here and kidnaps me for ransom, <laughs> and says, you're going to go, we're going to take you to your bank right now, and you're going to go in there, and you're going to, you know, you know, withdraw all the funds that the church has. Number one, I don't know where the bank is. I don't know which one it is. Number two, I'm not a signer. Now, I can't sign anything, and, and, and like, they'd go, well, that's great that he's the lead pastor, but his signature means nothing around here. I'm not listed as any official officer or anything at the bank or anything like that. Kenny's not listed that way either. Uh, even our bookkeeper has no ability to sign checks or anything like that. So before you guys think that, like the house of serving this is, I was telling you, that no, nobody knows. We have two elders who they are signers and they, write, and they sign checks. I won't tell you their name because then they could be kidnapped and ransomed. And, and nobody wants that for them. <laughs> but, but the point is, this is not a self-serving thing. I'll be honest with you. Our church is not in need right now. This is not a series based on because we're in need. It's just because the Bible teaches it, and so we want to teach what the Bible teaches. And he seems to be indicating from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, that giving, a heart of giving, is percentage-based, not amount-based. Percentage of your overall, as a tenth of everything that came in, they would give back to the Lord. Now, that's all fine and dandy, Pastor, but that's the Old Testament. What if I don't even think that that applies to me anymore? I don't know if you've ever heard of an argument like that, but I actually received that argument from a person when we were talking about giving at a different church. And, and, uh, and I think it's a, it's a theological argument, so we've got to deal with it. And the argument goes this way. God and Israel, you just preached, Pastor, God and Israel made an agreement. They'll take the tribe of Levi, they become the priests, and the rest of Israel agreed to give a tenth of all they have so they can fund the community, both to do religious activities, religious purposes, and also mercy activities like the widow and, and the orphans and whatnot. And so that was an agreement between Israel and God. I'm not Israel. I wasn't around back then. And therefore, I didn't make that agreement with God. So that's an agreement between God and Israel, not me. So therefore, I can freely give whatever I want to give. It doesn't have to be 10%. It can be less. It can be more if I wanted to. It's just I can freely give whatever I want to give. You ever heard of Free Will Baptist Church? You know, I give freely whatever I want to give. And so because of that argument, because there is an argument out there, I think it's important for us to deal with that theologically. Men disagree, but at least deal with it theologically. So let's, let's look at that line of reasoning, and then let's kind of evaluate it in light of the Scriptures. So, uh, back to our question. According to the scriptures, how does our love turn into regular intentional generosity? Well, first we see that our generosity uh, becomes proportional. And secondly, we're going to see our generosity becomes universal. That is, without exception, whether it's the first century, or the 25th century, or the 75th century. Whether it's uh, before the time of Christ or after the time of Christ. Uh, whether it's before the law, after the law, all of it. It is universal. And we're going to see that in Hebrews chapter 7. I want, I want you to turn there with me as we read it together. Our generosity becomes universal, and we find that in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, before I dive into that, I just want to let you know that the context before Hebrews 7 and the context after Hebrews 7 is this, that Jesus Christ is a priest of another worldly order. He is of a higher order, a priestly order that's higher than any other earthly priest you've ever seen before. That is the whole context of chapter 7 of Hebrews, and he's going to state why in verses 1 through 10, which says this. Let's read together. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything he had. He's the first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days or end of life. We don't have any record of Melchizedek's family or his genealogical order. And this resembles a son of God. He continues as a priest forever. So Jesus Christ kind of, kind of makes a mirror, a modeling, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who would be a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have commandment in the law to take tithes from their people, that is, their brothers, though these are also descendants from Abraham. But this man, who does not have a descendant from them, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. 
It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In one case, tithes are received by a mortal man, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So let's stop there. According to the scriptures, how does our love turn into regular intentional generosity? And what we're finding here is that generosity becomes universal, meaning without exception. And the reason is because Abraham ties to this fellow named Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek was a priest of a different priestly order. Remember, there's this whole deal that happens with, with Moses and God, and we're going to set aside the tribe of Levi. We talked about that already. Well, Melchizedek is a priest of a different line. He wasn't from the line of Levi. He wasn't from the line of Aaron. He wasn't a Levite. In fact, he was before all that. Moses isn't even born yet. Abraham was walking the earth, and there's this guy who represents uh, a communion before God and represents Abraham in that communion before God. And, and as Abraham fights this battle and wins, he, he tithes of his spoils to this priest. Superior to the priestly line of Aaron because it happened beforehand. And this is the same priestly line that Jesus apparently is of, according to Psalm chapter 110 and verse 4. So Jesus would say, I'm a priest as well, but not of the line of Aaron, not of the tribe of Levi. I'm a priest of the line of Melchizedek, according to Psalms 110, verse 4. So why is Melchizedek a, a, a higher priestly, priestly line? Well, number one, because he took tithes from Abraham. Number two, because he blessed Abraham in that process. Number three, because even after he dies, he doesn't end his priesthood. Uh, Levitical priests, their priesthood ends when they die. But for some reason, it's said about Melchizedek that he doesn't lose his priesthood when he dies. And it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who is our forever priest, our eternal priest representing us. So Melchizedek, in that sense, becomes a type of Christ. And then finally, Levi, who was in Abraham, pays tithes to Melchizedek. So Abraham's there. His seed is going to produce the nation of Israel. One of that is going to be the tribe of uh, Levi. He's seminally present in Abraham when Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, why is this, why is this important? I, I want to share with you the reason this is important is because if Abraham tithed to God before the establishment of the law, now listen to this, which would lay out the 10% guideline, then the tithe is universal. The argument goes this way. God and, and Israel, they made, a, they made a pact, and, and they said that they would tithe back to God, and I wasn't a part of that agreement. But I'm telling you, the tithe started before that, before Moses was even born. Abraham already tithed to the Lord, and if that's true, then what that means is the tithe is universal before the law, during the law, after the law, and it still takes place today. So when I think of my friend who says, well, you know, that was an agreement that I wasn't that wasn't in on us. Well, that's not great exegesis in the end. In the end, there was tithes before the law, before the Old Testament law. Now, this is an interesting argument that you hear a lot of, and I'll, I'll spend a couple seconds here. People will say, well, that's the Old Testament law. Christ fulfilled the law. Therefore, we don't have to abide by it anymore. Get that idea? And that's true to a certain extent. There is ceremonial parts of the law that we do not continue anymore because Christ fulfilled the law. The New Testament tells us not to participate in those activities. And so, yes, it's true. But at the same time, it doesn't erase morality, does it? Like, let me give you one. Thou shalt not murder. Do you think that's a good one we should continue? You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that a good one that we should continue? Or should we obliterate those ones too? So this argument, this idea that's Old Testament, that's Old Testament law, we don't have to follow it. Uh, I'm not sure you want to go there all the way. There are tenets of the law for sure that Christ fulfilled, but there's also portions that basic morality would tell us we should continue to follow. Well, let's go to the big idea. Big idea today is regular and intentional generosity is a real thing. Regular and intentional generosity, like it's a real thing. Like people do it. People really do do it. I'm, my wife and I, for years, 20 years now, we've basically lived on 90% of our income, giving 10% to the Lord. Actually, I need to take that back. The first couple of years, I, I forget my checkbook every once in a while, and then I get to the end of the year, I'm like, oh, I didn't make my 10%. And then, and then I'm like, I don't have enough money in the bank. I'm, I don't roll that deep. So I'm like, I can't, I can't make up the difference. And then I finally said, you know what? Forget it. Forget the checkbook. I'm just going to make this automative and let, let, Lord, you know my heart. It's going to be there every year. You're going to get that. It's more important to me to get that percentage 
than it is that I, you know, do it. So when, you, when we used to pass before COVID, we used to pass the plane, and people were going to go, man, that guy doesn't give. Well, I do. It's just the bank sends it, and I, I don't even think about it. It just goes. I, I get paid on Friday. First check that goes out is, is, is to the Lord. But, but I mean, for 20 years, we've, we've basically lived off of 90%. There are people that do it. Like, there are people that really do do it. I think I have, uh, I would guess, our staff team and elders, many that do it. And it's not surprising to me that the people who stretch themselves for the Lord financially are the same people who have the stories about how God cares for them. It's not surprising to me that the most generous person is the one who gets the account, you know, all of a sudden God blesses. Well, when I bless that person, they're going to use it generously. So it just makes sense to me. And by the way, if you're in the room and you are generous and you have those stories, I need you to start helping me share those stories. We think, well, no, we can't tell anybody. We don't want anybody to know. You don't have to tell them all the details of it. But let the younger generation know that the word of God really does work. And when you really do prioritize the Lord, he does come through for you. And you can outgive God. And he can multiply the seed in the storehouse, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. All those things are true. But regular and intentional generosity, like it's a real thing. People do it. People really do do it. Now, on topics like this, we often run the risk of someone feeling cut down, overrun, less than worthy, guilty. And hear me clearly saying this right now. I do not want you to feel that way. I do not want you to feel that way. We're not in need. I'm not bringing this because we're in need. Um, We're bringing this because the Bible seems to talk a lot about it. I don't want you to feel that way. You know, when I was, kind of reminds me, when I was newly married, I'm a kind of a perfectionist kind of a personality, which is good and bad. Good because, like, I want everything to be perfect, you know, kind of thing. It's good when you're in ministry. You want things to be great. You want to give your best to God, to the people you're serving. All of, That's kind of good. At the same time, because I'm so perfectionistic, sometimes I can be like my worst own critic. You know what I mean? Like I could be the harshest on myself because I'm so perfectionistic. Which doesn't bode well when you're married and your wife needs to bring to you sometimes when you're not, you know, kind of, you're missing the mark. You're not, you're not hitting the, you know, the, the ball in the sweet spot. It makes for a difficult conversation because I'm so hard on myself. And the way this would look like at early in our marriage was, you know, um, I would get 110 to 150% focused on what I was doing in ministry. And sometimes I would even, you know, uh, neglect my family in that process. I'd spend every waking moment at church, morning, noon, and night. And then the kids got a little older, and they started asking questions of my wife, like, where's dad, and how come he's never around? And that would give my wife the confidence to come and talk to me, because she knew that once she has this conversation with me, I typically have gone into like a, like a gnarly tailspin, like I can get like disappointed in myself, lament, even depressed. But because the kids would be mentioning stuff, she would finally have the confidence to say something to me. She would say something, and then I would start the lament process. I'm a bad father, I'm a bad dad, I'm a bad family man, I'm a bad pastor. And thankfully, I had some good mentors in my life. And if you don't have a mentor, you should find one. Find a spiritual mentor in your life. My mentor was Pastor Rich Rollins, who was the executive pastor. He was my boss. And he was a great friend and mentor and, and kind of a spiritual mentor to me as well. I had it all wrapped up in one person. And I remember I'd go and I'd go, man, I messed up again. I, my wife had to come to me and, and I haven't been home. And, and I don't know about you, but the, the, the younger years are so much harder on me. Like, like you know, uh, I feel like I'm a better dad during the teen years. Like I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I get that age group. It's fun for me. I get it. You know, it's a, it's a blast. My son and I are working out together now. So there's wonderful parts of this. When they were like three, four years old, the whining, the crying, the bodily fluids, it just was a lot for me. And, and, and then I come home and, then, you know, I'm such a perfectionist and Audrey's throwing like Tupperwares everywhere and I get mad at my wife. Like, why is this a mess? Because I clean that up five times. Like, oh, I'm sorry. And Audrey just keeps on, what do you, you want me to do? Electrocute her? And I'm like, might not be a bad idea. No, 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 don't do it. No, no. But, but I mean, so it was harder on me. And so, and so it was easy for me to get focused on the work and whatnot. And I go to my boss. Like, you know, I did it again and been wait, spending way too much time here. Meredith feels like I'm not home enough and I'm not doing enough with the kids, and, and, you know, I get home, and everything's just a mess, and it just drives me crazy, and I know it's not her fault, and I can't, I can't handle it, and, and, uh, and then I would like to, you know, I'm just disappointed in myself, I'm a bad dad, bad, all these things, and, and so I'm going on a walk, and praying with God, and all, and I just can't get myself up, and I'm sad, and everything, and, and Richard just look at me, and he go, tell me when you're done with this, like when you're done with all that, 
Like, when, when, when is that, when, like, like, when are you going to stop the self-loathing? Like, this, this emotional drama that you brought into my office, you know? <laughs> when, when you're ready to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Now, I get that that might not be the strategy you want to use with every individual, <laughs> but it really worked for me. <laughs> like, when are you going to stop feeling sorry for yourself and actually do something about this? Then he would say something like this. The David I know is driven innovative, creative, smart, diligent, hardworking, and stops at nothing until he gets what he's after. When that David comes back, we can do something about this. You can keep on with the self-pity, or you can make a goal and move forward. It was so good. I feel like the enemy wants to do that in your life sometimes. He wants to stifle you by, by these negative uh, evaluations of yourself. Don't let him do that. Don't let them do that. Don't spend any time there. Just get on your huff and get driven and innovative and creative and smart and diligent and hardworking about stopping whatever activity is that you want to stop and creating new activities that you want to create. Baby step it there. Baby step it there. Don't let yourself feel down. Just make a new pattern moving forward. Um, you know, when I first got here, Camarillo Community Church, um, Kenny and I made a goal together. Of course, we did this in reference to our, to our elder board and make sure that they were good with it. But we really wanted to be able to say one day that a $1 for every $10 that comes into this building goes out the walls. $10 from every $100. So whenever $100 is given, $10 of it goes out the walls. Now, that can be local missions, can be global missions, it can be church planting, all these different things. But we wanted to be able to say that we're tithing off the funds that you guys bring to us. And I was like, Kenny, we got to be able to do this. we got to tithe on everything that comes in. He's like, Dave, we can't do that right now. That was like a million-dollar budget, like $100,000 in one year. Who are we going to fire? How are we going to find this money? And I was like, okay, 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 got to calm down. Well, let's make it our goal. Who knows? In five, six, seven, ten years, we'll be able to say that 10% of all the funds that come into our church go out the walls. Whatever we're asking our people to do in their personal lives, we're doing it as an organization. And so we made this goal, and every year we take a little, little bit more, and we prioritize every year. Every year we're trying to crunch more numbers. How do we get more in there? How do we get more at the missions? And this last year, I'm happy to report, that we got to 9.6%. Round up, that's 10, baby. <laughs> and so now, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful goal, but it took us five and a half years to get there. We couldn't do it in one day. And listen, I'm partial to those of you guys say, hey, Pastor, I know you've been in the faith for 20 years, and you have a history of building discipline in yourself. We're new at this thing. And we just came to faith, and our, all our financial priorities were set five years ago. The house, the, the, the boat, the, 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 the two or three cars. All, and we cannot possibly right now switch to that. And I would say to you, baby step it. Get there one day. Set a goal today, 2%. Then go to 3 then go to 4 And make it your goal. And then organize your life on this idea that one day I'm going to be able to say, God, I prioritize you because everything you gave me is yours anyway. You're my God, not my stuff. You're my God, not my money. It was you. And I was able to get there. And you'll be able to rejoice and know that you have skin in the game and you're excited about because what God is doing because of my underwriting of the gospel. It's a wonderful feeling. And then when you... Get to 10%. They start thinking, my wife and I, how could we do more? Lord, are you going to open up new doors? We could do more. We're going to have some wonderful discussions this fall about some things that we could do around here in the church. My wife and I already started talking and praying. What could we do? How could we, how could we organize things some more so we could do more for the Lord? They're wonderful discussions. But I'm just here to tell you today that regular and intentional generosity, it's a real thing. Like people really do it. It's a real thing. And you can get there too. I hope you'll take a baby step forward. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads and let me talk to your soul a little bit. If you're a non-believer in the room today or online and you want to give, I suppose it's always okay to give to the Lord, but it's more appropriate for you to receive a gift from God first. You see, we give because we've been given to so much. God has given us so much, we respond in gratitude and generosity. Your first move is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. That same God, that, that blood of the doorpost can be applied to your account, that he'll take all your sin, past, present, and future, place them on Christ on the cross, give you his righteousness, which you do not deserve. And in that sense, spiritually, he can see you as perfect, even though he knows what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. There's a pardon. And once you receive that gift of eternal life, then it's appropriate for you 
to respond back in generosity. If you're a believer in the room, I just, I feel like God's calling you to a new level in your faith. Maybe calling you to go all in, in one area or another. And I don't know what that area is for you, and I just would ask you the question, would you be receptive to that call? Would you be receptive to that call and maybe take baby steps towards it? Father, we love you. We love you. We're not in need. This church is not in need. You've given us wonderful people who are underwrite this thing. It's not about being in need. But your son spoke a whole lot about money and how it dictates our heart. And it's a great indicator of where we're, where we're at, whether we're all in or not. In fact, your son spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell combined. It was a big deal to you. And I will not be a pastor who does not speak to things that the, that the son of God spoke to. Father, would you mold our hearts, make us, refine us, purge us of those things that need to be shed. And may we be able to say one day in this area and all areas that we are all in for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, you know, we're all on a spiritual journey, every one of us in this room. And we can all always take a step closer to Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we're doing in this life as we grow closer to Jesus and become more like him in our life. For some of you here today, maybe it's time for you to take your very first step towards Jesus Christ, where you accept him as your savior. And if that's where you're at today, I want you to know that we have people here who want to walk, help you along with that journey. And if you can um, go to the counter on the left-hand side of the lobby on your way out, there's people there that would love to answer any questions you might have about what it means to be a follower. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. We want to be there for you, pray with you. Um, whatever you need, we're there for you. If you're joining us online, same thing for you. There's a form you can fill out at campcc.net. Click on Next Steps at the top of the page, and you can fill out the little form, and we'll get back to you, one of our pastors will to help you along in your spiritual journey. For the rest of us, there's always a step to take. Maybe like Pastor David's saying today, it's giving. For maybe it's not. Maybe you're already there giving, and for you, it's uh, your prayer life or your Bible study or your serving ministry. There's always a way to, uh, to up our game, and I just pray for whatever it is for you that you would take that step today. All right. Um, we're going to give back to the Lord because we're going to put him first, as we spoke about today. I don't need to say much more about it other than there's three ways to participate. You can give online at campcc.net. You can text the amount you want to donate to the number 84321. Or if you wanted to write a check, there's an offering box in the lobby. All right, before we go, let's check out this video of what's coming up next. Hey, CamCC, I'm Megan Terryberry. I'm a part of our worship ministry here at church. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for hanging out with us. We would love to put a face to the name, so please walk over to the welcome counter in the lobby with a connection card, or if you're online, please go to camcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at CamCC, August 5th through 8th, middle school summer camp. Enjoy kayaking, snorkeling, swimming, volleyball, basketball, and giant group games on Catalina Island. This will be an amazing experience for you and your friends. There are limited spots available, so go to camcc.net slash Catalina to sign up today. Important dates coming up, so make sure to save the date and also check out upcoming events at camcc.net. August 30th, CamCC Blood Drive. September 4th, Growth Group Signups. October 21st through 23rd, Men's Retreat. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. What I got out of the message today, and probably the only thing I got out of the message, was to basically not kidnap Pastor Dave or Kenny. <laughs> so just in case you're planning on doing that, don't. Um, remember that if it's your first, second, or third time here, make sure you go to the welcome counter so you get your free gifts. Um, or if you're watching online, then make sure you go to campcc.net slash next steps. And I also want to encourage everybody to be thinking about who you might bring to church next week. So as you go through your week, um, if you have somebody in mind, reach out and see what they